Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. You ever lose time? You know, all of a sudden you're scrolling through memes, you're just looking for a moment, and then there was a reel, and then you kept going, and then pretty soon you lost 15 minutes, an hour. Or maybe if it's uh, not a device like this for you, maybe it's, uh, I didn't mean to stop in the kitchen and watch that news story, but before I knew it, uh, time passed. Or maybe for you, like it was when Joy and I were early in our marriage, we, I remember going to the, our favorite diner off a of Riverside Drive, and we would go in uh, sometimes on a Saturday morning, and we would go for breakfast and I'd see couples there, and I confess in my sinful heart that I judged them. They had newspapers in front, both members of the couple staring at their newspaper and not each other. But now I have to confess, now years later, there have been occasions in our favorite coffee shop or diner here that Joy and I have caught ourselves both scrolling through things at the same time. When those we love, the beloved, is right before us. Whether it's a newspaper or a screen, it's easy to miss what is right in front of us. For 2,000 years, Jesus, the crucified one, has been raised from the dead He died and rose for you and for me to return us into a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was the very first human being for whom, as scholar Jeffrey Gibbs put it, death no longer has any power. I've been calling this as we've walked through Holy Week a bit of a a mini documentary series reporting on that which Christ has done. But in a drama series like Star Wars, 
they even maybe most likely unintentionally get how important it is that death is conquered for in that drama series you will know that the undestructible unimaginably big never to be defeated death star blows up twice Death is defeated. It's right before us. But we miss it. We miss that it changes everything. We miss it in our daily lives. We miss it with those we love. Even those gathered here who believe. We sometimes miss it. There are those who don't want to believe. We'll hear about that if you keep reading past verse 10 and Matthew 28, as the guards report the empty tomb. And that there are those who are seeking and examining, as we'll soon discover in today's text. Maybe you're among them coming today to wonder who this person of interest, Jesus, really is. And I suspect that there's a great number of us All of us, sadly, sometimes included in this, that become indifferent. And so today, I invite us to put down our phones, our newspapers, or whatever else is causing us brain fog, and see what is right before us. Remember, this isn't some drama series like Star Wars. This is a documentation of what Jesus has done. Whereas I like to recall from distinguished scholar and Yale professor professor Yaroslav Pelikan who says, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. The issue that is before us today as Pastor Timothy Keller will write from New York when he says... It's not whether or not you like what Jesus is teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And so Matthew gives us this report. He tells us the when, the where, the what, the why, the who. When, after Sabbath had begun, remember the Sabbath began on the evening before in the Jewish understanding of the calendar. At some time between that evening and that morning dawn, Jesus rose from the dead. And where? We're at the tomb where they laid him. And what? There was an earthquake that shook the world, the guards. An earthquake, as anyone from the first century can tell you, is a sign that God is speaking. And so here we have the angel of the Lord speaking, telling us that there had been a body, the crucified one, Jesus, but he's no longer there, which explains the why from God's word. But there are others there that we encounter as we come and discover these faithful women of God And then the guards stopped in their tracks, frozen in fear, guarding 
the tomb that is now empty. And then finally, as we get to verses 8 through 10, we encounter Jesus himself. I share you these details because this does not read even in first century reporting like legend. There are no special effects in this series. It is God's word. And we get the first glimpse of its physical reality when these faithful women respond by worshiping Jesus. And what do they do? They grab his feet. At his feet, they worship him. I, I like uh, uh, Lutheran scholar Jeffrey uh, Gibbs has suggested that maybe what we should do in our exchange on Easter, because as the early church fathers noted, this touching of the feet was significant because it showed that this was a physical resurrection. This is no uh, figment of their imagination. This is Jesus there in the flesh. And so Gibbs suggests, he said, maybe we should change our Easter exchange instead to, he has feet, he has feet indeed. Maybe next year. But with this truth that he is really there, and this confession that God himself who died, the resurrection, The crucified one is now the resurrected one. Giving witness to the first heralders of the gospel, which these women are. Now, it's interesting because if you were writing this story and trying to make it up, given the judicial prudence of the day, you wouldn't have had women as the first witnesses because they weren't even allowed in that culture to give testimony in court. And yet these are the ones who Jesus has chosen to bring the gospel to us through, to share it with the disciples. We get confirmation from first century historian Josephus, a Jew, not a follower of Jesus, who writes that Pilate condemned him to be crucified in the dark. He goes on to write, but that those who had become his disciples unlike other messiahs that had come around, were not abandoning him. They reported that three days later, after his crucifixion, that he was alive. And Josephus will go on to write that Christians so named after him have not disappeared to this day. And so any first century historian, as N.T. Wright will report in his thick book on the evidence of the resurrection, That whatever it is that the early Christians were expecting or wanting or hoping for or praying for, this was not what they said after Easter had happened. Something had happened. Something which was not at all what they had expected or hoped. It was God's even greater surprise. Something by which they now would reconstruct their lives around. And there it is again. Right there before us, this transforming good news of the resurrection. J. Warner Wallace, who I've quoted several times throughout this series together, the cold case detective and who came later to Christ after examining the evidence, writes in his book, Person of Interest, 
that the fallout of all of these Christians following Jesus was impacting the culture. It was evidence of the resurrection. He writes about Tassius who despised Christians but nevertheless still called Jesus the Christus, the Christ. And so with all of this evidence, including those guards who Matthew reported to us, they had every reason to keep what was in the tomb there because they would, in that culture as a guard, would possibly have to give up their very lives if they lose that which they were guarding. So no wonder when you read in verses 11 and following about the ruse that the elders will invite the guards to tell But they're all too happy to tell it because otherwise they would have to give up their lives. Just by their very presence, they give testimony to the empty tomb. And so, this is the good news of the gospel. What does Jesus say after giving his greeting? Go with haste and tell this good news. This good news that Jesus has died, but he is now risen. Well, let's flash back in our docuseries for a moment. Back to that moment where Jesus was with possibly that other Mary that we hear in the text, although some say it's the Mary of James and John's as the mother, and some others say it's Mary, the, mother, or the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. But when Jesus got on the scene there with Mary and Martha, Lazarus was in the tomb. He was dead, wrapped in grave clothes. And as scholar Chad Bird points out, there at Lazarus' grave, Jesus did not say, death is natural, a normal part of the life cycle. No. He wept he wept and then he kicked death in its teeth and he said I am the resurrection and the life and anyone who believes in me will not perish but have eternal life Sin separates us from God, but Jesus has come on the cross, the crucified one, and says, it is finished, and he has brought new life. He doesn't bring platitudes in the face of the brokenness that we face, in the face of the death that so many of whom we love have suffered. He weeps. He grieves. And then he brings hope. Scene change now back to Matthew's account. Where we have heard and seen Jesus in his own words. Where we've received the what, the why, the who. The physical evidence, the corroborating evidence. And then we see the faith of these amazing disciples of the Lord As Matthew reports, Mary and Mary, we know from other Gospels there were others, but what did they do? They wondered. They looked in. They 
they explored, the tomb was indeed empty. And they worshipped at his feet. And then with haste they went forth to bring the good news. Their lives became ambassadors to change. That same scholar, Chad Bird, points out that Christians call the burial place of their dead a cemetery. In Greek, that's komaterion, from the verb to sleep. And so cemeteries for Christians are only sleeping places. The very name is a confession that Christ, who says, I am the resurrection, will bring us and reunite us in the resurrection of the dead. Yes, indeed, Jesus has blown up the death star. Jesus didn't do this in some drama series. He did it in the annals of history for you and for me. And we, like the women on Easter, come to worship Jesus the Christ, the man from Lazarus, Nazareth, the crucified and risen one. And until he comes again, we live by his word of grace. That same word of grace he gave to the women to share. He didn't say, go tell those no good disciples who are hiding who didn't come to the tomb like you did? No. He said, go tell my brothers a word of grace. Do you feel the rumbling of this earthquake in your life, friends? Are you still not sure? Then keep investigating. Keep following like those women did, wondering. Worshipping then and going forth with haste. But don't ignore. It's so easy just to, you know, keep scrolling. But let's put down our distractions, our doubts, and see that this person of interest who is right before us, right before us, and gone so far as to die for us, to bring us to the Father who gives our lives this wonder and opportunity to worship and purpose and meaning to go and tell. Like the women went forth, may we go forth following Jesus. For He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen.